Good morning, Boker Tov. Welcome back to Parsha Perspectives for today. Last week we missed because of celebration of Shavuos, but we are back for Parsha's Baalos. And as always, we thank our generous sponsors for the Parsha series for the year, our dear friends Becky and Avi Katz and family, in loving memory of Becky's father and their grandfather, Lila Nishmas Dovah Benachem Manash, in memory of David Grossman. Today's shir is also sponsored by Jennifer and Dr. Ronnie Herman, in memory of Sarat Sirla Bas Yidl Price, a courageous woman who never lost her amuna despite the hardships of the Holocaust. Uh, their Oma, who lived to 100, was privileged to see many generations. Neshama Shadav and Aliyah, also co-sponsored by the Lowenstein family, in honor of their mother Tammy, a big listener to the Parsha Shir, in celebration of her, I'm going to get in trouble, it says her 60th birthday, I'm sure it's really her 30th birthday, a very, very happy birthday. Thank you for listening and learning with us. And lastly, by Colin Stein, Haley Ostrovsky, Ruth Sedowitz and family, in memory of Fega Bas Moshe, may her neshava, her very special, Avis' is very special neshama, have an aliyah. Thank you to all of our sponsors. If you'd like to sponsor a future episode, a future shear, please email lee at brsonline.org, l-e-e at brsonline.org. This week we have the privilege of reading, of learning, of studying, of being transformed by Parshas Baalos, page 774 in the Art Scroll Stone Chumash, if you are following, and by definition, you are doing it at home. Hashem speaks to Moshe, saying, Speak to Aaron and tell him, When you kindle, when you light the lights of the menorah, Towards the face of the Nora should you light all seven lights. There's a lot to talk about in this opening of the Parsha. In our many years of Parsha classes, you can follow online. We have spoken about it. We have a lot of other things to get to in the Parsha. I'll just say very briefly uh, one thought from the Imre Chaim. We've said it before. The seven branches of the menorah represent the six branches of wisdom, all leading towards the seventh branch, which is Torah. All the other wisdoms, all the other disciplines out there in the world, we believe Chachma Bogayim Tamen, and we believe there is value and virtue to those wisdoms, but they have to serve Torah. They have to complement Torah. They have to be subservient to Torah. Torah is primary. Torah is central. Torah is the authoritative understanding of the universe of the world, and that's why the six branches lean in towards that central branch, which is Torah. The Imrechaim has a different interpretation. He says, The six branches represent Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. And the middle branch, The middle branch is the Helega, the Holy Shabbos. If we succeed in directing all the six weekdays, the whole world, El Mul Shabbos Kodesh. If all six weekdays, Yom Rishon B'Shabbos, Sheni B'Shabbos, Shlishi B'Shabbos, if Shabbos is at the forefront of our mind, if all week we're looking forward, we're longing, Shabbos is Tachlis Lamasa Barishas, Shabbos is the goal and the ambition of our life, Azya Iru Shivas then all seven candles, that middle candle, the candle of Shabbos, illuminates, energizes the entire week. We can make the entire week in the status of Shabbos when all the six uh, arms all lean towards all lean towards the middle arm, which is the Heliga Shabbos. The Eish uh, Tomid, Rav Druk, and we have a special treat in store for you today. Rav Druk is in Boca. So earlier this morning, he gave a little Dvar Torah on the Parsha, which we are going to incorporate into our Shira this morning. We've been learning Rav Druk's wonderful Sefer Eish Tamid inside. We have the privilege of hearing directly from Rav Druk this morning. But first, let's look inside Eish Tamid. 
Says Rashi, a famous Rashi. Why is this parsha of the menorah, this mandate, the charge to Aaron and his children after him, to light, to ignite the candelabra? Why is it adjacent? Why is it juxtaposed to what we read at the end of last week? The story of the Nesim, how each of the princes, each of the heads of the tribes, brought the exact same karbonos. When Aaron saw the inauguration, when Aaron saw each of them, the gifts, the karbonos, the sacrifices they were able to bring, he was so saddened. He became impacted negatively. He was so sad. Said Aaron, it's not fair to me. Why don't I get to give? Why don't I get a chance? Why am I not included? Why am I not participating? Lohu, neither him, nor his tribe. So the Almighty responds, Aaron, are you crazy? What are you upset about? Aaron, don't be sad. Your portion, your lot, your opportunity is greater. You are lighting and you are igniting the candelabra, the menorah. You're doing so, Lodoros, for generations to come. Nothing to be sad about. We've spoken about this too in the past. A seemingly bizarre exchange. Aaron sounds like an impetuous child. It's not fair to me. How come my brother and my sister, how come they get the lolly? How come they get to go? How come they get to sleep? How come their bedtime is later? Says Aaron, not fair to me. How come the rest of the Nassim get to give and I don't? To which Hashem doesn't say, Aaron, you get what you get and you don't get upset. Hashem doesn't say, Aaron, come on, you're better than that, which is what we would have expected him to say. Instead, he tells him, Yours is greater. What are you upset about? You have a greater portion. Don't tell your siblings. Don't tell the others. But yours is in fact bigger. Yours is in fact greater. What kind of a conversation? We've raised this question before, and we've spoken about it in the context of Kinaso from Tarbachachma. I am not competitive whatsoever, but for competitive people, it's good to know that here the Torah endorses spiritual competitiveness. Spiritual. To be competitive for material things, to be competitive for attention, glory, or honor, to be competitive for your car or your clothing or your house, that is an unhealthy competitiveness, unless it gives you a drive to be the best you can. But competitiveness in the arena of ruchnius, in the pursuit of the spiritual and the holy, when a person says, I want to daven like that, I want to learn like that, I want to do chesed like that, I want that opportunity, I want that skill set, I wish I could sit like that. That, that ambition, that competitiveness for ruchnius, it breeds greater learning, it breeds, great, breeds greater behavior. Our rabbi said, Kina sofrim, that competitiveness among scholars, tar it creates and it promotes greater wisdom in the world. So here you see the source that Hashem doesn't say to Aaron, Aaron, what's the matter with you? He says to him, Aaron, I like it, bring it on. I like the competitiveness, but don't worry. Your opportunity is greater than them. That's what we've spoken about in the past. But here of Druk quotes, Mavur Barashi, It seems from Rashi like Hashem giving Aaron the opportunity to light the menorah was given as a comfort, a consolation prize. He was saddened that he couldn't bring the gifts, the karbonos, with the Nesim. And what was the consolation prize? Don't worry, you get to light the menorah. And the Ramban, Nachmanides, asks a series of questions on Rashi. Writes the Ramban on our Pasha. Velonus Borali, Lama Nachmu Bad why in the world is Aaron satisfied? He is appeased when God says to him, Don't worry, what you have is greater. You get to light the menorah. Why is he appeased by that? Why wasn't he already appeased by the privileged, 
by the unique opportunities that he had that others didn't, i.e., namely, bringing the ketoros. He got to bring the incense. He played that special role. There's a whole list of korbanos that only Kohanim got to bring, and even among the Kohanim, only Aaron, the Kohen Gadol, got to bring. V'nichnas l'fnai v'nifnim, he's the only one who got to enter the Kodesh HaKadoshim. Those learning the daf yomi, today's daf. V'shu Kodesh Hashem omi be'ichalu l'shar s'lavarach b'shmo. So Aaron already had a unique position that came with unique privileges and opportunities, even more than the menorah. So why is Hashem answering Aaron, I'm giving you the menorah? He was already answered by the other opportunities that the Kohanim and certainly the Kohen Gadol, the high priest, got. What is the menorah add? And moreover, why was Aaron sad to begin with? His carbon, his carbon as the Kohen, as the Kohen Gadol, was greater than the, the carbonos, the sacrifices of the Nesim. So why would he be saddened by seeing what they're bringing, which is less than what he ordinarily brings, let alone all the other unique opportunities that he has? And the Ramban offers a incredible Incredible interpretation here. The Ramban says, you see in this conversation between Hashem and Aaron, a hint, an allusion to the base Chashmonai. We're talking about Second Temple times. The Chashmonaim, who established the lighting of the Menorah Ladoros. And he says, here is an allusion to the story of Hanukkah. To the story of Hanukkah. The base Chashmonai were Kohanim. They were not part of the lineage of Malchus David. They broke from the rule that Lo Yasser Shevet Mi Yehuda, really the monarchy was supposed to always emerge from Yehuda, and here the Hashmonai broke with that as Kohanim Gedolim, as Kohanim, the Rambam deals with that, did they make a mistake, was it a special time, and so on, but here the Hashmonaim, who were able to light those candles, established the holiday of Hanukkah, and that's what the Pasuk is really referring to, says the Ramban. However, Rav Druk wants to answer the Ramban's question on Rashi differently, and he answers based on the following. I'll tell it to you outside because we have an enormous amount we want to cover today. He basically says the following. And moreover, he asks another question. He says, what is this doing here? Really doesn't this belong? The menorah, the whole story of the menorah belongs back when we had Parshios uh, Truma Tetzave, when we had Vayakal Pekude, we had the introduction of the Kalim earlier. What is it doing here? So he suggests that really there are two dinim, Svei dinim. There are two aspects or there are two laws to the lighting of the menorah. One is, like every other behavior, performance, avoda in the mikdash, the lighting of the menorah was part of the service of the mikdash. But there was a second role the menorah had. Yesh bagam b'niyas habayis, shreikeven shebayis zakuk laora, b'chomaisa adlaka ki lubona umashlamis habayis. You could have a home, and the home can be fully furnished. But if the light's not on and you can't enjoy and you can't navigate and you can't make your way around the furnished home, then you not really have an established full home. When is the home inhabitable? When the electric company turns the lights on. When the electricity is flowing, when you've got the certificate of occupancy, when you can turn the light on and inhabit the home, that's when it's really inaugurated, that's when it's really established. And therefore, suggestor of Druk, what Hashem was telling Aaron, Aaron wasn't upset in an ongoing fashion. He knew that he had a greater and a more special opportunity. But rather, what bothered Aaron was in the Hakama Mishkan, the special, special designated day, this distinguished, unique opportunity to celebrate the inauguration of the Mishkan, Aaron felt sidelined. He felt like he wasn't participating. He felt like he didn't have a role, to which Hashem responds, you think that the entire inauguration is complete with the gifts of the Nesim? It's waiting for you to turn the light on. 
It's waiting for you to turn the light on. When you turn the light on, that's when there's a real certificate of occupancy. That's when you've really entered. And therefore, he suggests the following. All the other sacrifices, all the other unique, distinct roles of the Kohen don't include something that's part of inaugurating or building the special home for God. But turning on that light was the Makkah It was the final act. It was the completion of this building. It brought the glory. It brought the functionality. It made it inhabitable. It really made it complete. So by turning the light on, Aaron did have that role. And when the Kohanim turned that light on each and every day, when they light that menorah, it's as if the binyan, it's as if the building, to a certain degree, was deconstructed, was destroyed, and each time you turn the light on, you build it anew. So everyone else only got to inaugurate once and once only, Aaron, through the daily lighting, got to inaugurate daily. And that's what Hashem meant. What you have is greater. So you have to understand what troubled Aaron was not impetuousness or was not an unhealthy competitiveness. What troubled Aaron was a desire to participate in the glorious day of the inauguration of the Mishkan. He didn't want to be sidelined. He didn't want to be a spectator, to which Hashem said, don't worry. Not only are you not a spectator today, but every day when you light that menorah each and every time, you are in fact re-inaugurating, re-establishing, rebuilding. You are making it inhabitable once again. You're turning the lights on and you are therefore illuminating not only the Mikdash, but from the Mishkan and Mikdash, you are illuminating more broadly and you are learning, illuminating out much more further. Okay, Perches, which is beginning of Baloscha, Pasuk Yud test. Turn the page. The consecration of the Levium, making the Levium have their role, their uniqueness. We've talked about in the past a contradiction. Did Levium 25, 30, when did they serve? How many years of apprenticeship to a person can identify whether they're cut out? And if they're not, they should move on to another job. We've talked about that in the past. Peraches Pasuk Yud test. Chapter 8, verse 19, page 776. In the yard scroll stone chumash. The Pasuk describes that I assigned Levim to be presented to Aaron and his sons from among Mitoch Bene Israel. And what was their mission? They were here to serve the Jewish people from the Omoid, and to achieve atonement for the Jewish people. So the consecration of the Levium, you have a job, you have a responsibility, you have a mission. The Rambam writes today, anybody can be part of Shevet Levi. If you want to study Torah, you want to be a communal leader, you want to be a role model and an influencer, not a social media influencer, a Torah communal influencer, an example of how to live the most virtuous, meritorious life of Torah, of Chesed, of sensitivity, of kindness, of Midos, of Derech Eretz, then we can all electively join that symbolic mission or role of Shevet Levi. So here the Torah tells us they are consecrated, they are designated from among the Jewish people to serve from the Oal Moed. Why? So that there will not be a Negev. Why? So there will not be a Negev. When the Jewish people approach holiness, holy activity, holy service of God, let there not be a Negev. Let there not be a plague. What does that mean? So Rashi here says the following. Rashi says, Where is Rashi? Pasuk Yud. 
test. What now? Chamisha pa'amim nemar b'nei Yisrael b'mikrazeh. Look back at this pasuk, Peraches pasuk yotes, 8, 19, and you'll see b'nei Yisrael are mentioned five times. Five times. V'etnes l'avinus, sorry, v'etnes l'avinus, mitoch b'nei Yisrael, one. L'avodis avodas b'nei Yisrael, two. L'chapar b'nei Yisrael, three. V'loi b'nei Yisrael, four. B'geshes b'nei Yisrael al-Kodesh, five. Seems a little excessive, no? A little redundant. Five times I have to mention B'nai Yisrael, but when you see the number five, like Sesame Street, the number five should remind you. What is the symbolism of the number five? It says Rashi, when you see something five times, the number five is an illusion, it's a signal. Five means Chamisha Chumshe Torah. So B'nai Yisrael are mentioned five times in the Pasuk as a reference or allusion to the five books of Chumash, the five books of the Torah. What does one thing have to do with another? What does this Pasuk, the idea that Negev, a plague, should not be brought to the people, what does Negev have to do with Chumash? So before we get to that, I want to share with you an insight of Rav Meir Pramishlan. Rav Meir Pramishlan says the following. He says, you know, normally, I'll read it to you, Normally when a person endures, when a person undergoes a challenging time, a crisis, God forbid, What happens in a crisis? You dig deep. Dig deep in your amuna and bitachon and your faith and trust in God. You dig deep concentrating on your prayers, on your davening and your tehillim. You dig deep being on your best behavior and trying to earn the merit in order to endure, to persevere the crisis, in order to persevere the challenging time. And you transform yourself on best behavior, all kinds of promises and pledges, doing everything at the top level. And what happens? To live on that level, on that plane, to live with that concentration, with that faith, with that trust, with that virtuous activity, one should strive, one should aspire to live that way all the time. It shouldn't take 15 months of a corona pandemic. It shouldn't take 11 days of 4,000 rockets. It shouldn't take the growth of anti-Semitism, the fear, the threat, the danger, the concern that we all have to say, ooh, I better be on my best behavior. I'm going to daven hard. I'm going to say Tehillim. We're going to have Tehillim gatherings. We're going to have rallies. We're going to have Torah sessions. We're going to, have, we're going to pledge learning of Torah. It should be something that we're striving for all the time. And said Rabbi Meir Pramishlan, that's what it means. V'lo b'nei Yisrael negef b'nei Yisrael el we shouldn't need a plague in order to draw close to Hashem. It shouldn't take a crisis. It shouldn't take a plague. It shouldn't take a pandemic. It shouldn't take rockets. It shouldn't take a rise of anti-Semitism in order to draw close to Hashem. It shouldn't be benegif. It should be at all times. When Shefa Bracha, we should be there's an overflow of blessing into our lives. Good health, safety, security, happiness, prosperity in the best of times. And that is a Parsha perspective for today. A beautiful insight of Rav Meir Pramishlan, a Hasidish drush on the Pasuk. It shouldn't be B'nai Yisrael Negev B'geshes El HaKodesh. It shouldn't take a plague or a crisis to drive us to, her, to holiness to the Kodesh. Even in the happy times, the best of times, the successful times, the non-crisis times, we should also be driven and we should also aspire. But back to our question. Rashi says B'nai Yisrael is mentioned five times in the Pasuk. When you see the number five, five means Chamishe Chumshe Torah. What does that have to do with this? Says Rav Druk in his Eish Tamid. He quotes from the Sefer Pritzadik, 
Rav Tzadik HaKohen of Lublin, the Holy Rav Tzadik. Amar Bazen, he writes the following in Pasha's Kisei O Zayin. V'lachein, this is Rav Tzadik. V'lachein b'pasok v'etnes lavim nesim la'aron mitoch b'nei Yisrael, nizkar bo chamisha ponem b'nei Yisrael, lo'odiyach hibasun sh'nech balu, so far recording Rashi, rak b'makom shuhuskar sh'hivdel ha'lavim mitoch b'nei Yisrael, zachar gam kedushas Yisrael, sh'lotomar sh'kedushisosam kalam e'alavim. The whole section is telling us about the consecration of the Levim, the distinction, the elevation of the Levim. So Astam Yisrael, like me, a Gurnisht, a nothing, just a Yisrael, like me, will say to ourselves, I guess I'm a nothing. I'm a Gurnisht. Baruch is not machshiv me. The Almighty doesn't uh, value me. The Levim, they're consecrated. The Levim are charged with a mission. The Levim are elevated. The Levim have this whole special role. I'm just a Yisrael. What am I? So... Therefore, Rakshal Avim Kedushos from Navea Mekedushas Yisrael, the Kedushas Yisrael Kola Kola Kedushos. V'lachein Davka Ramas Bezeh BePasuk Shenisgru Bnei Yisrael Chamisha Pa'amim Keneged Chamisha Chumshei Torah. Says Rav Tzadok specifically in the portion that is talking about the consecration and the elevation of Leviim, we mention Bnei Yisrael five times to say the Leviim only have their distinction. It emanates from Bnei Yisrael, and Bnei Yisrael has it the five times. From the Chumash. We are who we are because the Torah, the mandate, the mission, the charge, the responsibility and obligation of Torah, that is what informs and inspires who we are. Klal Yisrael have Kedushas Yisrael, the Jewish people have a sanctity of the Jewish people because we're charged with the Torah Yisrael. We're charged with the Torah of the Jewish people. And Levim emanate from there. So it says Rav Tzadok, specifically in the portion where we might have erroneously concluded that the Levim are categorically better. We are reminded the Levim come from Bnei Yisrael five times, five times. That is Rav Tzadik HaKohen's answer to the connection. However, Rav Druk, not surprisingly, offers one of his own. Each time that we approach God, when we come close to God, when we appeal to God, protest to God, express gratitude to God, but each time that we are drawing close to God, it is worthwhile to remind God of His affection for us. And we see this in several places. In Shachris, in davening in the morning, Shmona Esrei, what is the bracha, what is the blessing we recite right before we step up to the Amida before God? Tzur Yisrael, Kuma Be'ezrez Yisrael, Uftechen Umecha Yehudah V'Yisrael, Go'aleinu Hashem Tzvakosh Shmo Kedosh Yisrael, Baruchat Hashem Go'al Yisrael. So the Sefer Ammanig writes, we say Tzur Yisrael Kuma, and how many times does it mention Yisrael there? Five. So every time we stand up in the morning to say Shacharis, every time we stand up for the Amidah, the most important part of prayer, the part of prayer where we're talking to Hashem, the rest of it is preparing to talk to Hashem, the rest of it is meditating and reflecting on Hashem, so we're better positioned to talk to Hashem. But the only part we're actually communicating the only part that we are actually having a rendezvous with Hashem is the Amida. And right before the Amida, we say this formula Tsur Yisrael, Kuma Bezras Yisrael, Uftechen Mechidavi Yisrael, Goalein Hashem Shemal Kadosh Yisrael, Barachat Hashem Gaal Yisrael. Five times. The Manik says, Why do we mention Yisrael five times before the Amida? It corresponds with the five times when Yisrael are mentioned in our parsha, in our pasuk here in Baaloscha, which is a reference to Chumash. And the Rokeach also brings this, B'Shem Reb Meir Shlich Tzibor. So, Mavur Shakodim Shinigashon Tfilashmona Esrei. Shazan Uomdil Fnekosh Borchum Mamish. Says Rav Druk, you see, based on this pasuk, 
that before we approach Hashem, literally, before we take those three steps forward and begin this conversation with Hashem, who has man lahazker hei pa'amam Yisrael, we remind Hashem His love, His affection. Hashem, you love us so much, you mentioned our name five times in one Pasuk. Five times. Talking to your child. You're talking to, I was just Zohar to have a new granddaughter. I'm still trying to learn her name. Shoshana Esther, Shana. So every time I see I come, I give a little kiss. Shana, who loves you? Yezeda loves you. Shana, Shana, you're the best. Shana, you're amazing. Shana. You keep saying a name because the more you use a name, the closer you draw. The use of a name expresses affection. It expresses love. It expresses a desire for connection. So Hashem used our name five times in this one Pasuk to say how much He loves us, how much affection He has for us. And we want to draw on that. We want to tap into that affection so that He sees us and listens to us and answers us most favorably. So before we begin our Amidah, the Manik says, we mention Yisrael five times before we step up and begin our Shemona Esrei. We also see this at night. From right after Shema, Emuna Kozos, until the close of the Brach of Ashkivin, five times in Marav we mention Yisrael. So you see, in the morning we say Yisrael five times, at night we say Yisrael five times, both in the morning and at night are modeled after our Parsha. Baloscha and the five uses of Bnei Yisrael, the reflection of Hashem's love and affection for us. So now we know why here. The Mishkan is complete. The inauguration has been celebrated. It is time to step up and come close to God. Specifically, Right before the Levim step up, right before they step out in order to begin their avoda, each time we draw close to God, we remind Him how much He loves us. We invoke the fivefold formula. We have a formula of five. God mentioned us five times to express His love for us, and His love is expressed by His giving us the Torah. Yisrael five times in our Pasuk, Yisrael five times in Tzuri Yisrael, Yisrael five times in Marav after Shema Toshmon Esrei, the five Yisraels, Chumash, right before we talk to Hashem, we remind Him how much He loves us, and we ask for that to be to our benefit. Moving right along, Parak Tes, Pasuk Ches. Consecration of the Levim, the repentance ship and responsibility, and then we get to the Pesach. We are in the second month they've left Egypt. In the first month of the second year, rather. First month of the second year they have left Egypt. This is the Pesach Sheni. We're not going to spend time on Pesach Sheni. Pesach Sheni. We've spent a lot of time on it in the past. I encourage you to listen. I've written about Pesach Sheni. Pesach Sheni in Buchenwald after liberation. Rabbi Herschel Schachter, Rabbi J.J. Schachter's father, Zechron Levracha, who led the Pesach Sheni Seder in Buchenwald after it was liberated. What a story. The story of Pesach Sheni, of Lama Nigara, of this group of people who said, why should we lose out? What a powerful message. By the way, this is perfectly consistent with the way the Parsha began. Aaron said, why should I lose out? And now the people who were Tamei Lenefesh, the people who were impure, and therefore the people who were... Who were uh, ineligible to participate in the first Pesach, they step up to Moshe and they say, it's not fair to us. We want Pesach. We long for Pesach. Something that no man or woman has ever said since. Not fair. 
if we got an exemption, didn't have to cook or clean, nobody would be complaining today. And yet, this group of righteous people said, Lama Nigara, it is not fair to us. We want it. We want an opportunity. There's a question. We're not going to study it now. I'll leave you with this one for your homework. What do you mean, Lama Nigara? Why did you lose that? Because you were Tame. People lose out all the time on things because they are not eligible. I'm not eligible to Duchen. I'm not a Kohen. We've already established that. I'm not bitter about that at all. I'm not a Kohen. I can't Duchen. I don't get the first Aliyah. I can't do the Avodah in the Beis HaMikdash. Men, women, Kohanim, Leviim, Yisraelim, those in Eretz Yisrael. I can't go to my garden in my backyard and do Mitzvah Ba'aretz. It has to be that which grows in Israel. There are circumstances that enable and allow and invite different mitzvahs. So what do you mean, Lama Nigara? You were ineligible because you were Tameh. How is that a legitimate argument, Lama Nigara? If I step up and if a woman steps up and she says, Lama Nigara, why am I exempt from time-bound mitzvahs? I want to be obligated. If I step up and I say, Lama Nigara, why don't I get to Duchen? I'd like to get up on the bima and Duchen. Would Moshe Rabbeinu go to Hashem and say, Taka, it's a good taina. How come he can't? Of course not. So why was this a legitimate argument? And why not only is it a legitimate argument, but once Moshe confers with God, God comes back and says, that was a good argument giving you second, the holiday of second chances, the holiday of Pesach Sheni. It's a good question. We're not going to study it right now. Pesach Sheni, why were they Tameh? They were carrying, according to the opinion that we follow, there are three opinions, but we follow the opinion they were carrying the bones of Yosef. Yosef, the master of second chances, he gave his brothers a second chance. And now these individuals who were Tameh because they were carrying the bones of Yosef, they want a second chance, and God gives them that second chance. We're not studying this right now. We move on to the design, the signs. When it was time for the Mishkan to pack up and head out. We're traveling. We're journeying. When God determined it was time for the Mishkan to go. So page 780-780 in the Art Scroll Stone Chumash, Perak Tes, chapter 9, verse Yurches. Verse 18. According to the word of Hashem, they would head out, they would journey. And according to the word of Hashem, they would stop and they would encamp. All the days that the cloud would rest on the Mishkan, they would encamp. So when the cloud was on top of them, it was time to stop. When the cloud lifted, it meant go time. So each time they stopped or they went was not simple. There was an enormous, enormous amount of work to disassemble and to reassemble, to pack up, to head out. Anyone who's traveled with their family, children, you know, passports, TSA, packing, packing the hand luggage, arguing, you know how difficult, how challenging it is. And yet, here, Api Hashem, when Hashem said it's time to go, and when Hashem said it's time to encamp, and how did He communicate those two messages? He did it, how? He did it based on Api Hashem. He did it by the cloud of glory lifting. So says Rav, says first of all the Shlach Kadosh. First let's look at the Shlach Kadosh. Shlach Kadosh says, Api Hashem, I love the Shlach. Shnei Luchos Abris, Bishaya Levi Harvitz. Says the Shlach Kadosh. The, the Shlach. We have three successive psukim. We have three psukim in a row that all twice in each pasuk say Api Hashem. Three psukim in a row that each one of them twice in the pasuk say Api Hashem based on Hashem. This is a sefer quoting the Shlach Kadosh. It's a great sefer. I love this sefer. Much of my Rameir Pramishlan came from here. The Shlach Kadosh comes from here. It's a wonderful sefer that collects the best of the Hasidish of Vartlach. 
That's the name of the Sefer, not me. It's not disparaging. A chasidish avart is the name of the Sefer. So he quotes the Shlah. And this comes to teach us any activity that we are undertaking, any activity that we are engaging in, kitana o gedola, small or big, consequential or inconsequential. A person should always start the activity by saying, this kugel should come out good, this surgery should come out good, the drusha should come out good, the drive should go well, the flight should be smooth, the court case should be favorable. You see it from here. Alpi meaning when a person mentions Hashem, you head out. When a person mentions Hashem, you rest. It means that all that we do, big or small, we should invoke this little tefillah, a tiny little prayer. We think of Hashem, whether it's the kugel, the court case, the surgery, the drusha, whatever it is we're about to do, the drive, the flight, whatever we're about to do, big or small, we do it alpi Hashem. We do it by invoking in mirz Hashem, be'ezrus Hashem, with Hashem's help. The Pasuk says, we mention it in Yehi Chavod. The advice of Hashem is Hisakum. There's a lot, there's a beautiful gra on this. There's a Tvar Torah I don't suggest you try at home. I mentioned it last week at our Shabbos table. My daughter came home from the hospital with a new baby. I said, Rabbas Machshavas Belavish. People have many thoughts. The baby cries in the middle of the night. Who should get up? Should it be the man? Should it be the woman? Who should get up to take care of the baby? Atzas Hashem. Hashem says, Hisakum. She should be the one who gets up. It didn't go over well on Shabbos, and I'm sure it's not going over well right now either. But in any case, the Shlach says the word he, I should have quit while I was behind. Shlach Kodesh says the word he is Rashi Tevos, reverse. It is an acronym in reverse for Im Yirtza Hashem. Im Yirtza Hashem. You know, we say Im Yirtza Hashem. We say it really quickly. We say it in the Yiddishized version. Im Yirtza Hashem. But really it's Im Yirtza Hashem. If God wills. Im Yirtze Hashem, if God wills. So the reverse acronym for Im Yirtze Hashem is He. Atzas Hashem, Hisakum. Hashem's advice, Im Yirtze Hashem. To mention that whatever we're doing, it should be done with Hashem's help. It should be done with Hashem's help. The Gemara says, Halavai Kulo. Wouldn't it be amazing if a person daven the entire day, which we know is impossible. What do you mean daven the whole day? You gotta go to work, you gotta shop, you gotta sleep, you gotta cook, you gotta eat, you gotta do a lot of other things, legitimately do other things. So what do you mean? Halavai, wouldn't it be amazing if we daven the entire day? So some of the commentaries explain, it doesn't mean that you'd be in shul with a sitter opening davening the whole day. It doesn't mean to be sitting at your table with a tehillim open. It means halavai, halavai, that whatever you were doing the whole day, shispala kola yom kulo. Halavai, you davened. When you got in the car, let it be a smooth drive. Halavai, when you had the conversation, let it go well. Halavai, the cooking, let it be successful. The court case, the surgery, whatever one does in life. Halavai, that we introduce. Halavai, that we preface whatever we're doing. Ketana Magadolim, big or small, with a little tefillah, a millisecond tefillah, a mirz Hashem, be'ezrus Hashem, tefillah to Hashem, that it, that it go well. But back to Rav Druk. Rav Druk says the following. Al pi Hashem, says Rav Druk. He says, These psukim raise a big question. The psukim that describe the day that the Mishkan was inaugurated, Hashem covered it with the cloud, and He said, when I lift the cloud, go, and when I lower the cloud, stop. There are a lot of questions here. Why is it so repetitive, first of all, in this section? 
Why is it that I mentioned three psukim in a row that each say Alpi Hashem twice? Why is it so repetitive? So the Ramban writes, Let's say the cloud is on top of the Mishkan. It means it's time to stop. Get off the highway. This is where you're staying. It's time to stop, unload, unpack. But you say, but I don't like these accommodations. I'm not happy in this neighborhood. I'm not happy with the amenities. I'm not happy here. I want to go. The answer was, you can't go till God says you got to go. From a sense of fear, awe, respect of Hashem, don't go. He says this is where you belong. At this time, in this place, this is where you belong. We don't argue. It means that's where we belong. And if we're there for only two or three days, and you know what? We say this is pretty comfortable. It's got a pool. They've got a jacuzzi, a workout room. They've got a wonderful uh, cafe. They've got a golf course. They've got all the amenities. I could stay here for a long time. And all of a sudden, the cloud lifts. Quick, pack up. Time to head out. I don't want to go. I want to stay. I love it here. It's perfect. It's amazing. It's comfortable. The cloud lifts. It's time to go. It's time to go. So the Ramban says that the mysterious nefesh of Klal Yisrael here, the tremendous love and loyalty they showed to Hashem, is that even when they didn't want to stay, if Hashem said stay, they stayed. And even if they didn't want to go, but Hashem said it's time to go, then they went. And therefore, it's an enormous, enormous mysterious nefesh. It's an enormous praise. It's an enormous affirmation of the loyalty of the Jewish people. And it's also a Parsha perspective for today. Because the message for us, says Ravjuk from here, and he quotes a story about Aaron, Pasuk said we read earlier, Earlier in the Parsha, when Aaron was instructed how to light the menorah, the Parsha testifies that Aaron did all that was asked for him, just as God commanded him. And Rashi says, Aaron did what was asked. What a praise of Aaron that he did not deviate, that he didn't abandon, he didn't distort what God had told him to do. He did it exactly the way it was written up. And many, many, many have asked, and Rav Druk joins the group and says, what, I would have been suspicious that Aaron would have done it differently than the way God commanded? God said, do it this way. But I think for a moment that Aaron would have tried to do it a different way? So the answer is, it's not what it means. Lahaget shvacho shiloshina means that Aaron never, it never got old. For Aaron, it remained new and fresh. Shiloshina means it didn't get old. It didn't get old and tired. It didn't get stale. It remained fresh and exciting as the first day that he was asked to do it. And so for the Jewish people, it doesn't matter. Shiloshina. Lo Whatever circumstance we find ourselves, however challenging it is to do what God wants in that moment, Shiloshina. Just like Aaron didn't deviate, didn't change, didn't alter. Just like he didn't stay a little bit longer when God said go. Or he didn't go when God said stay. Same too with us. Emuna bitachon dvekas, to cling to God means to believe that if God put you there, in this time, at this place, it's where you're meant to be. Alpi Hashem. It's only when we feel that God wants us to move. It's only when we feel that God says it's time to go. That's when it's time to go. But otherwise, we belong in that place and in that time. Alpi Hashem. Emir Hashem, Be'ezrus Hashem. All that we do. Halavai Shei Yom Kula says the Shla. All that we do, big or small, we should introduce with, with God's help. And wherever we find ourselves in life, we should recognize that that's where we're meant to be. Lean in, embrace it, make the best of it. Because for right now, for whatever reason, that is where Hashem determined we were meant to be. Perak Yud Pasuk Chavtes. Moving along, skipping a couple pages. We had the Chatzotros, the order of breaking camp. 
how the camp journeyed, how the camp went to battle, went to war. A lot to learn from here, but not for now. Page 784. Now, all of a sudden, Moshe has a conversation with his father-in-law, Yisro. Yisro is ready to head back home, and Moshe does something, another unusual departure. He begs his father-in-law to stay. I can make father-in-law jokes because I'm a father-in-law now. He makes father-in-law, he says, can you stay? Don't go. We need you. Please, come with us. L'cha itanu. Come with us. V'hitavnu lach. K'ashem dibertov al Yisrael. Come with us. It will be good for you as well. Hashem has spoken well to the Jewish people. Moshe pleads with his father-in-law, with his shver, you have to stay. Don't go. Now, does Yisro stay or go? We don't know. I've spoken about this in the past. We're not going to elaborate now. The Torah never fills in. It's a blank. Does Yisro listen? Does Yisro acquiesce? Does he stay or does he go? We don't know. It's a machlokas in the Mepharshim. It is debate among the biblical commentators. What does Yisro do in the end? Why wouldn't the Torah tell us? Why does it leave it a mystery? Obviously, it's not as important to know whether he stayed as knowing first that he came to begin with and second that Moshe wanted him to stay. Why did Moshe want him to stay? So let me read to you from Rabbi Soloveitchik, the Rav Chumash. Rav Soloveitchik said the following, With this conversation between Moshe and his father-in-law, we get a glimpse into Moshe's mood during the day after the second Pesach, as the people begin to march. He speaks in a climate of serenity, of peace of mind, of unqualified assurance. He expects great things as he speaks of the final journey to the Promised Land. No delays, no procrastination. It's going to happen right now, not tomorrow. Said Rabbi Soloveitchik, listen to this. Sometimes I want to cry when I read this parsha. Look, first of all, we think of the Rav as this intellectual, brisker, emotionless. And the Rav describes that when he reads Parsha's Baaloscha, sometimes he wants to cry. You know, we live backwards, so we all know how it ends. We know the Jewish people wander 40 years in the desert. We know that generation doesn't make it, and we know Moshe doesn't make it in. So we know already when we're reading these parshios now, as we do every year, we already know how this story ends. But Seder of Soloveitchik, he says, imagine, imagine living it. Moshe is serene and peaceful. He's excited. They've got their ticket, their flight. Nefesh benefesh, aliyah. They're on their way. No delay, no procrastination. It's about to happen. The journey, the flight's tomorrow. Sometimes I want to cry when I read this parsha, said the Rav. Look at the simplicity with which the great Moshe, the master of all wise men, the father of all prophets, speaks. He uses the grammatical first person. We are traveling. Come with us. We will be good to you. Join our triumphal march toward destiny, Moshe says to Yisrael. It may become your destiny as well. This was not simply an invitation extended by an individual to his father-in-law. Moshe spoke as a representative of Knesset Yisrael, inviting every generation of converts to join in the march, provided they subject themselves to the same divine discipline required of the Jewish people. The symbolism here, says the Rav, is so powerful that Moshe is not only talking to Yisro, it's not Moshe, the individual, talking to Yisro, the individual, it is Moshe on behalf of the Jewish people, speaking to Yisro on behalf of every future convert. You want to join our people? You want to join our destiny? You want to join our march to the Promised Land? You're welcome. Come. We're not a discriminatory biased people. We are not a people who feel superior. Anyone can join us. And a gersh and his gayer, when a convert joins our people, they have just as much a part of the Jewish people. In fact, the most often repeated mitzvah in the Torah is to love the convert, 
is to not remind them of their conversion. Moshe was certain, there wasn't even a shadow of a doubt in his mind that he was going to enter the Promised Land. He and the entire congregation would be classified not as Yotzei Mitzrayim, those who departed from Egypt, but as Bo'i Ha'aretz, those who had come into the land. He was convinced that he would see the beautiful land, the hills of Yehuda, the prairie land of the Sharon Valley, the mountain of, Levo- of, of Lebanon. Later he would fervently pray, let me cross over and see the good land on the other side of the Jordan, the good mountain in Lebanon. His prayer did not come true. At this time, however, he had no doubt about his destiny. The whole operation of successfully brought to a close would have lasted several days. There was no need for spies and scouts to explore the land, to see whether the land was good or bad, whether the cities were walled or open, whether the population there was strong or weak, healthy or sickly. Intelligent work is necessary only if one has doubts. This was the pre-doubt period in Jewish history. What a powerful description of Soloveitchik who says he cries when he reads Parshas Baaloscha, when he hears the confidence, the excitement in Moshe's voice when he invites and he talks to his father-in-law Yisro. Unfortunately, his dreams are shattered, his dreams are smashed, because ultimately Yisro does, uh, Moshe doesn't enter, Yisro doesn't enter. It's so, uh, it's so sad to be able to see it in this, in this way, in this direction. Okay, for the next insight, we move over to Perak Yud, Pasuk Lamed Gimel. We have the upside-down nuns, the two nuns that bracket off Ahib and Soha Ha'aron. And why do we have these two nuns that bracket them off? We have the complainers. And here the Torah wants to uh, distinguish, wants to break between the Peronios and the Peronios. We want to not have two negative things in a row, two negative experiences build upon, no negative momentum. So the nun, the backwards, upside-down nuns, are brackets sectioning this off to break it up. What are the two negatives? They left the mountain of God. They left the experience of Har Sinai. They left Har Sinai for the journey that should have taken them directly into Eretz Yisrael. But there were three things that got in their way. It should have been a three-day journey and they would have been in the land. But they didn't. And one of the things they did wrong, Rashi tells us, they ran away from Har Sinai. It says, there's a simon before and after to tell us this is not really where it belongs. But why is it here? To break between the Peronios. And what were those Peronios? They were like a Tina Kaboreach Mibesa Sefer. They were like children who ran away from school. So this morning, Rav Druk was here in my office and he shared the following thought with you. <laughs> חזל אומרים שזה נקרא פורענות, כי הם נסעו כתינויק הבריח מבייס הסיפה. והשאלה שכל המפרשים שואלים, הם נסעו על פי השם יחד ועל פי השם יסור. הם נסעו לבד, הם ברחו לבד, ענן עלה, אז הם נסעו. כל עוד שענן לא עלה, הם לא נסעו, אז מה פתאום זה נקרא כתינויק הבריח מבייס הסיפה? אז מפרשים שיודע, החודש ברוך הוא יודע, תלום יש הלב, הוא יודע שבפנים הלב הם רצו, הם רצו כבר ללכת, הם רצו. אבל איפה זה כתוב בפסוק? איפה חז"ל ידעו? כתוב ויישום הרשם. איפה כתוב בפסוק שזה היה כתינוק אברהם בסיפה? מאיפה חז"ל ידעו מהתורה שוויישום הרשם זה כתינוק אברהם Pasuk says that uh, when, they, when they journeyed, when they went on, it was like a children who leave at the end of the school day, they ran away. And uh, Rav Druk asks, but every time they traveled, they journeyed. It was only based on the instruction of Hashem. So how can we hold them accountable? So the answer is, yeah, maybe Hashem said it was time to go. But inside, they were relieved. They were grateful. They were excited to run. But yet, where do you see it in the Pasuk itself? 
this drusha that they were running like children at the end of the school day when the bell rings, where do you see in the Pasuk itself? First possibility is back in Parshas B'Shalach, it says, Vayasa Moshe, Moshe had to drag them away. They were at the Yam, they were collecting all the gold and all the silver, they were collecting all the money, they wanted to stay, Moshe had to drag them away. Here, Moshe didn't have to drag them away, they were happy to go on their own. Chazal understood from the fact that they were happy to go on their own, they weren't as excited to stay for the experience of Torah as they were for the experience of collecting uh, material things, and therefore they understood they were running, they were running like children who are running from school. בירושלמי כתוב, בגימור כתוב, שהסיבה היא בגלל שציר עצמו מן היין. אבל הרמב"ן אומר, היית בדרגי כל כך גבוהה, נזר אלוקים על רוי שוי. כשאתה מפסיק להיות בדרגי הזאת, זה חטא. היית בכזאת דרגה גבוהה, אז עצם זה שבן אדם מפסיק, אפילו שהוא לא אמר שהוא יהיה יותר, אבל אתה יורד בדרגי, היית בדרגה גבוהה, אז כבר צריך להביא קרובן על זה שאתה יורד בדרגי. יכול להיות... פשט חדש, היינו במים מדרסים, היינו בדרגה גבוהה, היינו קיבלנו את התל. נכון שאנחנו לא אשמים כי נגמר הזמן, אבל ירדנו עכשיו בדרגה, זה כבר פורונוס, זה כבר אחרי הכל, אנחנו יצאנו מבית הספר, גם ילד שהולך מבית הספר, כשהוא גמר את הדרגה הגבוהה, הוא כבר משהו אחר. זה כבר דרגה אחרת לגמרי. רואים שאפילו צריך נוזר להביא קורבן. סימן שכשבן אדם יורד מדרגה, זה פורענות, זה, 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 זה בעיה, בן אדם צריך להיות, אז עצם זה שהם נסעו מהר השם, הבן אדם היה צריך כל הזמן לרוץ חזרה להר השם. נסעו אפילו בלי שום דבר, ירדו מהדרגה הקודמת, זה כבר בעיה, זה כבר פורענות. Second possibility is that just like the Nazir we read last week, when they finish, when the Nazir finishes his vow, has to bring a Korban Chattas, and the Ramban explains, he was on such a high level, He was so uh, ascetic and, and living uh, transcendent. He has to bring a korban chattas for the fact that he came down a level, that he came back to earth, that he went back to the way it was. So you see that when a person, even when they're finished, even when it's understandable, even when it's based on the instruction of Hashem, but when they come down a level, it's something which we see as Puranus. It's a negative. A person has to acknowledge and see. So here too, they were on such a high level. It was such a lofty experience. And when they were leaving, even when a child leaves school, even when the school day is over, but in the end of the day, they were immersed in learning and growing, And now the school day is over, and that's the Puranos, is the transition from the high level to now this low level. Okay, we thank Druk so much for the Divrei Torah that we learn each and every week, that we share the magnificent Torah, the Ishtamid. We thank Rav Druk for, for all the Divrei Torah and the inspiration he provides. Wow, what an opportunity to hear uh, Rav Druk in person this morning. For those who are listening online and not watching, it's worth going on YouTube to watch for a moment that insight. Because, first of all, as I said previously, we learn Rav Druk's Eish Tamid each week, and we have the, the privilege of learning it. 
Um, it's learning a text and you don't know the person alive. Did they live 100, 200, 500 years ago? When you see and you meet the person whose insights we're sharing, it makes the insights themselves come more alive. But more, uh, we recorded that at 7 o'clock this morning after our earliest minion. And Rav Druk, when he gives over a Dvar Torah, his face lights up. There's such energy. There's such excitement. There's such vigor. It's contagious. It's worth seeing it. It's worth watching it and not just uh, hearing it. So go online on YouTube if you're only listening and you will find it there. So beautiful insight. He had the two explanations of how the rabbis knew that the Peronios, what was the negative activity that they were trying to break up and not have momentum around, was the children as if boreach, as if running me base ha sefer. Moving right along, the next parsha, Perakid Aleph, bottom page 786, the next narrative, the next part of our story in Baaloscha. The people took to seeking complaints. We have the complainers. It's the reflexive verb. It's not just that they had complaints. It's legitimate to have complaints. People have things that they complain about. But you cannot be a complainer. You cannot transform yourself into a person defined and characterized by complaining. There's the difference between a person with a legitimate feedback, constructive criticism, and being a complainer, there's no room to be a complainer, misonanim, to be a complainer. What were they complaining? The Asaf Suf, Pasuk Dalet, Hasaf Suf, You had the rabble rousers among them. They gave in to this enormous appetite, this temptation. Ben Israel also wept, and they cried, and they said, No, where's the beef? Where's the meat? Who's going to feed us? Where's the barbecue? Where's the flesh? Sounds like me on Shavuos. We remember the fish that we ate in Egypt. They mention all these ingredients. Cucumbers, melons, leeks, onions, garlics. We had it all. Fresh fruit, salad, meat, barbecue. It was a buffet. It was incredible. But now, But now we're so parched. We have nothing but man. We're so sick and tired of the man. Enough already. This is a complaint. Moshe Rabbeinu's had it. Moshe Rabbeinu can't take it anymore. I want to zone in on one word. One word. In this complaint, they lose their credibility. Because in this complaint, they say, we're hungry, there's nothing to eat here, where's the beef, where's the meat? We remember, Zacharnu es we remember the fish, In Egypt, we got fish for free. The word chinam means for free. Free? What, what are you talking about, free? Rashi says, free? Chinam? Are you kidding me? Says Rashi, in Egypt they wouldn't even give him straw for free. In, in Egypt they didn't get a glass of water for free. So if in Egypt they didn't even get that for free, you think they got free fish? Free food? No chance. So says Rashi, what are they, remembering inaccurately? Are they distorting the truth? How could they possibly say, we're hungry, there's nothing we long for, we remember the way it was in Egypt. In Egypt, we had free fish. Free fish, no chance. The Ramban disagrees. The Ramban says, takaya, because in order to keep your worker have stamina, for your worker to have strength, for your worker to be efficient, for your worker to produce for you, you got to feed them. So yeah, tev, they didn't give them the straw, and they didn't give them many other luxuries or even necessities. But food, they did give them. And that's why the Ramban writes, Rashi's wrong. The people nostalgically remember the free fish because Taka, they got free fish. That's the Ramban. But Rashi says, no, impossible, impossible. But moreover, you call that free? That was free, the fish? Chinam. The Ramban has to deal with this also. 
You worked for it, 210 years of slavery. Call the fish your reparations. Call the fish your compensation. Chinam, we got it for free. You broke your back, you killed yourself, you were indentured slaves, and you got fish. Ooh, we got free fish. That's not called free. That's called you killed yourself to be able to get it. So Rashi concludes, what does the word chinam here mean? Says Rashi, chinam. I lost the place. Where is the Rashi? Pasuk hey. Umau Omer Chinam, Chinam, Minam Mitzvos. The people did not need to do mitzvos. In Egypt, the Torah had not yet been given. They weren't bound with these responsibilities, these obligations, these limitations. And they were longing for the Chinam, not the free fish, but to be free from mitzvos. Rav Asher Bush, Bush, in his wonderful uh, book called Teachings, Rav Asher Bush, Rav Asher Bush, Rav Asher Brander, I apologize. Rabbi Asher Brander, in his great book called Teachings, In-Depth Reflections on the Parsha. It's a wonderful safer. It's a wonderful book, Teachings, Rabbi Usher Brander. So Rabbi Usher Brander asks, this is a people that just stood at Harsinai. They said, Nasav Anishma. They voluntarily said, give us the mitzvahs. We want to be bound by them. We accept the whole Torah and everything in it. And now they're complaining, Chinam, we long for the time when we didn't have mitzvahs. How could that be? So he has a very, very interesting insight. And he suggests... The people, they thought, when would we earn more reward? When would our mitzvahs be of a higher value? When we're doing it out of a sense of obligation or when we're volunteering? They thought volunteering is more noble. We miss the chinam. We miss the days that we did all the same things, but we did them voluntarily. That we performed all the same mitzvahs, but we did it of our own volition. They missed that time. What they didn't understand is that we have a rule. Godol ha That in fact, the one who is obligated has a greater reward and is greater than the one who does it voluntarily. It's counterintuitive, Tosos explains, because the person who does something voluntarily is internally motivated. The reward is their internal motivation. But the person who does not feel like doing it at all, the person who has no interest in doing it, and yet does it anyway, that person deserves the greatest reward. If you take the garbage out in anticipation, that the significant other in your life wants you to. They didn't ask you to. You're not responding, you're not obligated, you're not bound, you're not doing it because they asked. You initiate, you volunteer, you do it because you're excited to show them, took care of the thing you care about. So the reward is the internal motivation and drive. But if you don't want to take it out, and they ask you to, and you get up and you stop and you interrupt, you get out of bed and you take that garbage out because it's being picked up the next morning, that is a greater expression of commitment of loyalty. It doesn't have the internal reward or satisfaction of doing what you internally want to do anyway. And therefore, greater is the one who's obligated than the one who volunteers. They didn't understand it. And therefore, they longed for a time of chinam chinam minhan mitzvos. They longed for the time when they were free, free from mitzvos. Free from mitzvos. I had many other insights I wanted to share with you this morning. Um, I'll ask it as questions for you to think about. As we end, Miriam gets in trouble for speaking Lashon Hara. Miriam and Aaron speaking Lashon Hara about their brother Moshe. Moshe, the Torah testifies, Hashem says about him, Vaish Moshe Anav Ma'od. Moshe is the most humble of all people. If he's so humble, how could he have written that down in the Chumash? If he's so humble, how did he actually record in the book about him, about his humility? Isn't that a contradiction to humility that Moshe, who Moshe only took dictation from God. God actually authored the Torah. Moshe took dictation. Why didn't Moshe object? Why didn't Moshe say, I'm not putting that in the book? That's not me, God. You know that. I don't like the spotlight, the limelight. I don't want the accolades. I'm not putting in the book that I am more humble than anyone else. Isn't the very fact that Moshe included it in his own book 
or not his own book, in the book of Torah that he took dictation for, isn't that a contradiction to his humility? Number one question. Number two, after that Lashon Hara is spoken, the Pasuk describes that God appears to, Mo, to Miriam and Aaron suddenly. Perak Yudbeis, Pasuk Dalet. Vayom, I'm sorry, Vayom Hashem pitom el Moshe ve'el Aaron ve'el Miriam, God speaks to Moshe, Aaron, and Miriam and says, the three of you, out. The three of you need to leave right now. But he appears to him, pitom, suddenly. We don't see the word suddenly in the Torah, only in two places this is one of them. Why does it have to say that God spoke to them suddenly, as opposed to suggesting he took his time and spoke to them later? Why suddenly? Please, God, will will address both of those questions next year, Parshas Bahaloscha. Until next time, stay happy, stay healthy, and stay holy.